0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News.
1: How did your friendships evolve during the pandemic?
0: Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. So I remember seeing the confetti-speckled cover of Adam Smiley Pozwalski's book. It's called Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. And I was immediately drawn to the topic and really intrigued by it, but I also felt super awkward. I wanted to read it, I wanted to talk to him, but it also meant that I had to admit that I knew what loneliness felt like. And even in 2021, for me, loneliness still seemed like that thing people whispered about out of earshot. But fast forward a year, and we're all a little more open to talking about it. It's like we're kind of all coming to some strange in-between where we aren't feeling the same intense threat of COVID. And lots of us are starting to sort of survey our new environments. We're in new cities or they feel new because so many people have left. We've changed companies or we've stayed at our companies but gone totally remote. And in this in-between, we're finally able to think about what the choices we made during the worst of the pandemic will mean for us down the road, especially when it comes to our friends. So I got to sit with Smiley for a bit to talk about how we approach friendship now, in adulthood, and also why alone time doesn't always mean lonely. Here's Smiley.
1: I'm a pretty extroverted guy. My nickname is Smiley. I'm mm-hmm. a pretty positive person. I literally make a living meeting people. Mm-hmm. And in the last few years, and this is prior to the pandemic, I was experiencing pretty intense loneliness. I was experiencing this kind of sense of who are my real friends? How come I don't see them anymore? I have all these kind of surface level relationships or people I know through Instagram or Facebook, but not real deep, close social connections. So if I'm feeling this way as quote unquote, smiley, as an extrovert, as someone who's out there going around meeting people, then maybe other people probably are too. And then I started to dig in the data a little bit and like, oh, actually, again, and this is data prior to 2020, prior to lockdown, prior to social distancing, mask mandates, the big shift to remote and hybrid work, two thirds of Americans were lonely in 2019, two thirds, including 80% of Gen Z and 70% of millennials. A lot of times people think young people, oh, they're the most connected, they're the most social, they're out there, they're on TikTok, they're on Twitter, Snapchat, everything. They're actually the most lonely because um, having social connections online can do something for you, but it's not the same as having deep, nuanced, textured relationships and connections. There's research that shows that it takes 200 hours to become a close friend with someone Hmm. and 90 hours to go from kind of a casual acquaintance to an actual friend. So, yeah, I said, Oh, wow, I'm not alone. Other people are going through this too, but we're not talking about it. It seems so taboo. Two thirds of Americans are dealing with this. And the way we talk about it seems like, Oh my God, are you lonely? We have to kind of whisper around it. It's a secret, right? Um, So that was really one of the main intentions for the book was kind of saying, hey, let's normalize conversation around this. I started to research a little bit. And what you find is that actually there's really a difference between social isolation and loneliness, right? So sometimes people that are isolated are not necessarily lonely. Social isolation means you're just not around a lot of other people. Now, you can be not around a lot of other people and really enjoy it. You're kind of taking, hey, I'm taking some me time. I'm in the woods. I'm in a cabin. I'm in my apartment. I'm reading books. I'm watching Netflix. I'm just doing my thing. And I don't really need other people right now. Great, right? But you can also be socially isolated and be very lonely and miss that. And loneliness is the gap, the gap between where your connection levels are and where you'd like them to be, kind of what you're missing. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that. I think that we're spending more and more time on social media uh, right, the average person is spending you know 50 minutes a day on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is. If for children, for teenagers, it's much higher. Um, and yet we're only spending four percent of our time with friends, so that might explain why the gap is there. We kind of wait, I'm here, but I'd like to be there. And meanwhile, I mean, that's this,
0: staggering
1: four percent, just four percent. And we know it's four percent, and that one that would be staggering just as a statistic. But when you actually look at what friendship gives you and social connection gives you, it literally saves your life. People Mm -hmm. that have close friendships have a higher chance of survival by up to 50%. Like it literally Mm -hmm. gives you life. Not having close social connections is as dangerous to your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, right? Mm -hmm. It links to higher risk for heart disease, for stress, for Alzheimer's, uh, for all of these things. Harvard did study kind of looking at longitudinal happiness and found that the biggest factor in determining someone's health In their 80s was their social connections how healthy their relationships were in their Mm -hmm. 50s like -hmm. it had nothing to do with their wealth or how successful they were or their accomplishments or their bio or all of the cool things they had published or where they had worked and how many people thought they were amazing it had everything to do with did they have people in their life that cared about them you know did they have close social relationships and yet we're not living our lives like that four percent of our time you know
0: Well, I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned social isolation versus loneliness and having experienced both, like I remember at the beginning of COVID, I was on with my therapist and literally I had a choice in a very short window to either go back to California where my family was or stay in New York knowing, you know, I live alone and I probably wouldn't be seeing many people because New York was just totally shutting down as was, you know, a lot of the rest of the country. And in that conversation, I was like, am I going to be okay alone for what could be, you know, what we all thought might be a couple months, but really could be a year. And, you know, in that conversation, I was like, I think I'm going to be okay. But it was actually the first year that I spent truly alone And I loved it. So like I didn't expect to be in like, you know, so much gratitude, right? For during that year, there was so much chaos going on that I was so grateful to have this experience of understanding aloneness, even in social Mm. isolation could be okay. But, you know, even in the last, you know, call it 2021, I think was tougher for a lot of people than 2020 was because it sort of like really sunk in that you were alone and that there was not necessarily light at the end of the tunnel. So like, how do we define the difference between alone and lonely? And do you think people know how to be alone in general?
1: It's a great point. Actually, there's a little little section in my book called Have Tea with Strangers and Have Tea Alone. And it talks about the importance of spending more time alone in the service of being a better connector. And why that is, I think it's because you get a better sense of yourself when you spend more time alone and we and we kind of get rid of the negative connotation that we have with aloneness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And maybe it's like it maybe it you know, it's it's we listen to music, you pick the music, you you put a candle on, or you just take time to meditate, or you take time to just be with your thoughts or to write or to journal or just to walk, take a walk outside or just to think. Right. We live these busy, distracted lives that gives you a sense of who you are, what what you want, what's working for you, what isn't working for you. What are the relationships in your life that you really celebrate that you want to go deeper with? What are the relationships in your life that aren't working, right? So I think that it's really important to kind of change our perspective on what it means to be alone. Now, the important thing being there is like that's a choice. There are some people that I think that are very alone. There are very isolated. And it's not because they really want to be. Mm -hmm. It's because maybe they have trouble with social interaction. Maybe they're very shy. Maybe they've had a really tough time or maybe they're struggling with mental health issues or addiction issues. And it's hard for them to connect with others and they feel more and more isolated. And it's that kind of loop you were talking about where they're alone and the only thing that would actually help them to get less alone would be to other with other people, but they can't just do that. So I think it's really important to kind of, um, if we know we have those people in our lives that could really use that person to listen to or that person to spend some time with, to just give them a call on the phone or go for a walk with them or see if they need anything. And if they're not interested, that's cool, but that's part of being a good friend is reaching out and checking in with people. Um, but for those that are kind of thinking about more intentional alone time, My friend Ankit Shah calls it, he's actually the founder, interestingly, of a movement called Tea with Strangers. And when I interviewed him, the thing he wanted to talk about was the importance of alone time. You know, this is a guy who literally (laughs) has brought together 50,000 strangers for a cup of tea. That's what he (laughs) loves to do. But the thing most important to him was alone time, and he calls it good alone time, right? And I think that shift there of like bad alone time or, you know, versus good alone time, intentional alone time, putting it on the calendar This is not Zoom time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, this is not collaborative time. This is time for me to think, to just be.
0: Well, let me ask you this. So, like, good alone time, bad alone time. Like, you know, I think in our society, we're trained to not feel bad. And so sometimes when you're alone, it can feel bad, but only because it's uncomfortable. So it sounds like what you're saying maybe is like the intention behind, you know, sitting and planning the alone time is how we kind of know it's good alone time, even if we feel discomfort. And like, how do we know it's bad alone time?
1: You know, far be it for me to tell when <laughs> <once> someone's <laughs> time has been bad or good, but I think that there's something right. When, you're, when it's intentional, it becomes more of a ritual. It's something mm. to look forward to, something normalized, something rather than feeling shame. Like if you're like, I'm going to have some alone time on Friday night, That feels pretty cool rather than getting Friday night and be like, no one invited me to a party or no one likes (laughs) me. No one wants to go out with me. It's like, no, you scheduled it. You want that. Like, take it. Like, that's for you. You earned it. Like, imagine Mm -hmm. getting to Friday night, getting to Sunday evening and be like, ah, I got some alone time. Like, yes. Mm -hmm. It's actually really hard to take this time. It's actually hard to kind of create that space in the busy world that we live in. It's and there's a little bit of a shame around it. It's like, oh my God, you're not, you don't have plans. Right. You you're not plans. doing anything Friday
0: night. <laughs> you're not meeting
1: up with with Amanda or Chris or Craig or Rachel. Like, what do you what's wrong with you? It's like, no, I'm intentionally not. I need right. that space. It's just the time is worth it for you. Like that's an end in and of itself. That's enough. And actually it's frankly, I think in the world that we're living in right now and the stress and and anxiety and how intense things are like, it's actually really crucial and critical for our health and wellness.
0: I know we're talking about friendship, but if we're starting from the place of the importance of alone time... And, you know, we're getting more comfortable, not just like being alone, but also talking about the value of being alone and the ability to do nothing. Uh, I am definitely someone who, you know, my, my one of my close friends would say, like, I'm just doing nothing. And I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. What do you mean you're doing nothing? Um, because even if I'm alone, I'm like learning something. I'm reading. I'm listening to a book. I'm doing something active. But either way, you know, I think even with my alone time, with doing those things, Things shifted for me. And I started to learn, like you said earlier, learn more about myself. And one of the things I noticed in that experience was that my perception of my own friendships felt different after a period of time. Like in a way I was like, some people feel like, They've outgrown me or I've outgrown them. It feels like maybe we're actually heading in different directions that I never would have noticed because we've been friends for so long, or we have these three commonalities that felt like enough, but now they don't. Like, is that a natural part of this whole process?
1: Well, I think that that was, that's something that really, for a lot of people, not necessarily for everyone, that was actually a silver lining of the horror <laughs> that has been the pandemic and 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 the last couple of years was that this time allowed people, not just made them, <laughs> because there was so much alone time, um, reevaluate their relationships, reevaluate who was really important to them. Also, by necessity, you frankly couldn't mm-hmm. see everyone. And I think that that is a silver lining is that, you know, the research shows that people don't necessarily need lots of friends, they need good friends, mm-hmm. right? To go deep rather than wide is comes up a lot in the research and comes up a lot in in my interviews is that what people are looking for is not necessarily surface level relationships with lots of people. What they're looking for is a few people that truly know them that they can truly turn to when they need someone to talk to that they can show up for as well. And I think that this time. Really allowed people because they were kind of reevaluating their personal life, their professional life, just by the nature of what we were experiencing. People really kind of said, oh, what's what? What's working? What isn't?" And I actually think that that's a positive, even if it meant that there had to be some separation from certain people. Mm-hmm. Okay, hey, let's put pull back a little. Let's give this a little space. We were talking several times a week. Let's talk every month or two, you know. And hey, I've changed, or this is what I'm looking for. I need to communicate that to you. You know, or, hey, maybe we really shouldn't be friends and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Like taking that break or, or having a chance for a little bit of a, a separation is it can be healthy. It can be good. And I think it's not easy for us to talk about that stuff. You know, it's much easier to kind of just drop people. Mm-hmm. Um or just to pretend like everything's good. That's what most people probably do. Be like, "Oh, our friendship is not working," but let's not just like let's, <laughs> let's just maintain the status it's cool. quo. Let's, let's pretend it's cool, yeah. Let's pretend it's cool. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. But that doesn't really do anything, right? Whereas honest, open communication, hopefully, you know, at least creates a window for people to kind of get to a better place, or at least to share something that's on their mind. I think friendship really is an investment. It is something that requires intention. Um, it requires work. And part of that work is the personal reflection. That's like a a step that I I think we all skip. Um, And frankly, to be honest, that I had skipped and taking time to figure that out was actually the most valuable thing that I did.
0: I think the fact that you're even talking about that is really important because what I'm what I love to do on this show is talk about things that people don't talk about. So, you know, loneliness is something we don't talk about typically. But also what you just said struck a chord for me. You know, we don't learn how to be in relationship with each other for the most part you know growing up like we don't learn that it's assumed that we'll figure it out and so i remember you know not too long ago i was googling like is it normal to need a friend break? (laughs) Because I am definitely the person who typically is is like, I like to keep the peace. And so, but but because of my alone time, I'm a lot less likely to want to do that because I feel a lot more secure in who I am and, you know, the people I want around me. Um, So I do think it's important for, you know, anyone who's listening to recognize that it's okay to reevaluate. It's also okay to rewrite the rules of the relationships you have in your life so that they serve both you and the other person. But I want to talk about like the, the bigger conversation here here, smiley which is like the awkward question how do we make friends as adults
1: yeah and i think that there's no one answer and i think the first thing i would say is it's hard and the first thing that to do is just start talking about it more that was mm-hmm. the biggest you know real biggest reason for writing my book was hey there are a couple books on friendship i think there should be thousands right I think everyone should kind of write their friendship story or what friendship means to them or how they learned how to be a better friend. But I would say kind of overall, like a few guiding principles, the first is to be more playful. I think that um, if you think about how we learn how to make friends, it's usually when we're a child, when we're a kid, because kind of like our job is like, go make friends, like play, Mm -hmm. like go run around, like you're at a playground, like that could be a friend, that could be a friend, that could be a friend, that's it, like that's your Mm -hmm. job, (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. recess, go make a friend. It's, you know, and I think that that permission slip kind of, we lose that as adults. We lose that kind of sense. You know, it's like, this is a place where we work, right? Or you're in, you know, you're taking a class or you're supposed to get a good grade and it becomes different than your job being to play. And I think the culture of play, which is really about taking risks and being vulnerable and trying new things and being curious, all of those are really good recipes for friendship. Because you usually if you think about when you've made friends, it's probably in an environment where there was a lot of openness, a lot of risk taking, trying new things, maybe creativity, folks that have ever, you know, worked on a play together in theater or making a movie together or whatever, dance performance, music, those are environments where people make friends because they're being silly, they're trying something new, they're, they're putting themselves out there. Um, so being more playful, I think, is really important. I also think kind of this idea of starting slow, uh, oftentimes, you know, we're talking about friendship and all of a sudden we're also talking about best friends and we're besties and, you know, it's like, well, okay, let's just back up a little bit. What is it like to just kind of live a life where we're trying to build connection with someone slowly over time? It's similar to kind of dating a little bit, you know, meet someone and you're like, I want to spend my, the rest of my life with you. Let's go, mm-hmm. right? I want you to be my best friends. like, we should hang out again. Right? Yeah. Like, this was really awesome. I'd love to get coffee again. Like, I'd love to have dinner. I'd love to do something. some a fun activity.
0: We're taking a quick break. But before we go, let's talk about the fact that we only spend 4% of our time with friends in person, but social connections literally influence our physical health and longevity. So get out there and spend some time with someone who you feel could, for those acquaintances in your life, or already does, appreciate you and make you come alive. When we get back, how do we make friends? And no, the people you're trying to impress right now cannot figure out that you've listened to this episode. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA.
1: Hey, I'm Michael Kovnat, host of The Next Big Idea Daily. The show is a masterclass in better living from some of the smartest writers around. Every morning, Monday through Friday, we'll serve up a quick 10-minute lesson on how to strengthen your relationships, supercharge your creativity, boost your productivity, and more. Follow The Next Big Idea Daily wherever you get your podcasts.
0: We're back with Smiley Pozwalski. So according to Smiley's book, it takes 90 hours for someone to go from casual acquaintance to friend. And if you're talking about going from casual acquaintance to close friendship, we're looking at 200 hours. That feels totally daunting, and I want to know what is going on in those 200 hours. We're not just staring into each other's eyes. So what do we do to get there? Here's Smiley.
1: A friend of mine, Sahar, who has this kind of creed, he says, always go on a second date. And basically- <laughs> I've heard that
0: ne- not just when it comes to friendship, right. but yes. <laughs> but
1: exactly. And that, you know, obviously if you meet someone and they're like really making you not feel safe or they're making you feel weird, like just, that's it. That's, you don't need to hang out with them ever again, right? Just walk yeah. away. But if you meet someone and they seem cool they seem interesting or there's something there, like hang out again. And he has, a, instead of a business card, he has a friendship card. And on it, it has its name and it says, let's be friends has his email and his phone number. And if you meet someone interesting, he gives them his friendship card. So the other person kind of has to take initiative and reach out. And then once a month, he has a potluck, right? And he was obviously during the pandemic, he wasn't doing these in person, but you know, he basically invites the people that he's met in the last month to the potluck. So it's super low uh, energy in terms of him. It's always, it's just once a month on the calendar. He doesn't have to plan something new or hang out with every individual person each time. And then people come and not only they can they connect with him, but he can invite other people that maybe he's met, you know, along the way. And it's just like this kind of low effort way for him to kind of always go on a second date with people because they come to the Pollock and then maybe if that goes well, then they hang out that you kind of are just slowly kind of building that those containers of trust over time rather than kind of diving right in immediately. But mm-hmm. I think it's hard. I think it's really hard, especially in busy adult lives, uh, especially if we move or for different places. But as you build a relationship, there's just a lot of ways. I think, you know, my, my book is filled with different recipes. I think honoring the one-on-one you know, mm-hmm. it just creates a container, I feel like, for people to go deeper and be more, more vulnerable. And I'm all, you know, group hangs can be great, but especially as you're getting to know someone, for me, it's just a, a much more safer environment. Um, I think correspondence is really important um, in the world we live in to keep track of people, especially if you don't live in the same place mm-hmm. and realizing that people have different correspondence languages, whether it's writing handwritten letters, whether it's emojis, whether it's GIFs, whether it's texting photos, Um, figuring out what people's kind of correspondence cadence and love languages are are really important, but telling people that you care about them and that you need them and that you love them goes a long way in the world that we live in.
0: Yeah, I think you had mentioned even uh, in one of your interviews, uh, voice notes, which is something I started doing during COVID was like just sending people voice notes. And it's so nice to just do that quickly and know we can't talk on the phone for, you know, an hour, which like I'm definitely a one to one person who likes to go deep with people. And so generally people probably know that if we're going to talk on the phone, it's not going to be five minutes. So I was like, oh, well, my my middle ground is just sending a quick voice note.
1: Yeah. I love voice notes. Um, yeah. And then I would say that the importance of ritual, so Shasta Nelson's one of the kind of world's leading experts on friendships. He says that you know friendship needs three things to thrive, positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the importance of ritual, that's kind of where you start to get things like that, mm-hmm. right? Ritual meaning something that happens more than once. It's on the calendar, right? If you join a book club or if you're doing a, a, in a theater production together or or maybe work, right? A Friday gratitude check-in at the office um, or you do a girls weekend, right? Or a a, a wine club or Um, you know, these types of things where it's, it's kind of something that's always recurring, whether it's weekly, monthly, annually, um, it's something you look forward to. You kind of have the memories from the last one. So there's this shared experience. Um, maybe you start to have like specific things that are done at each time you get together, you know, those, those can be so many different things. There's an endless, endless amount of things that you can do when it comes to ritual. But I think that that creates really those containers where friendship can thrive.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned work, like, you know, and I know you've talked about the value of having a best friend at work when it comes to being engaged. Can you just talk about that? Like, I mean, I I feel fortunate that I work at LinkedIn where, you know, for a long time and even now there are so many people here that I still would love to get to know, um, but not everyone's in that environment. So, you know, how do you recommend people think about having a friend at work? And and also just, I know you, you, you talk a lot about millennial engagement, but you also talk about cross-generational engagement. So there are generations that are like, I'm not used to having friends at work. You know, I I'd clock in at nine and I leave at five. So how do we bring this into the fabric of our work, knowing that we're working across different belief systems and then, you know, across different levels of the ability to make friends?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think research shows that just 30 percent of employees have a best friend at work. Um, So 70 percent of employees are disconnected right now. But those who do have a best friend at work, according to Gallup's research, are seven times more likely to be engaged in their jobs. They're better at engaging customers. They they produce higher quality of work. They have higher uh, well-being. They're less likely to get injured on the job. So, if you do not have a best friend in work, there's there's just a one in twelve chance that you'll be engaged with your job. So, again, this isn't like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if everyone had someone to you know hang out with or have lunch with or go to happy hour with after work? It's like if you do not have this, you will just not be a good employee. <laughs> you will hate your job.
0: And is that because we
1: spend so much
0: time at work? It's
1: because you know it, not only do we spend you know let's say a third of our lives working, but Would you rather be spending your days around people that liven you up, that you're excited to see, that you're excited to talk to, that you're excited to debate ideas with, that you're excited to be with than not? I think most people would say, yes, we're social beings. So when you don't have to hide your true self at work and you have that sense of belonging, Mm -hmm. you're nine points less lonely on the UCLA loneliness scale. Mm -hmm. When you have a best friend at work, you're six points less lonely. When you have shared goals with your colleagues, you're eight points less lonely. Um, when you have more phone calls, more in- person conversations, you're less lonely. So this is all um, all connected. And I think that a lot of times, you know, people think of this as like a team building. Oh, like we did a mm-hmm. team building exercise. It's actually more about creating an environment where all of the time people feel seen and heard, and accept it as who they are. That doesn't mean everyone has to be best friends or think alike. It's not this culture fit. I think that that's the wrong approach. That's like, everyone should look the same or talk the same way or went to the same type of college. No, it's creating an environment where people can be themselves, right? And can be who they are and not feel scared of that. Um, and not everyone has to divulge their personal life, right? I think that's another misconception. Some people say like, look, I don't want to be vulnerable about what my child is going through or my parents are going through or like, my own personal struggles outside of work at work, right? Like, And that's not what I'm saying. I think that that should be totally available as well. Well, it should be also available for someone that does want to talk about that a little bit, Mm
0: -hmm. right?
1: Or, hey, I'm dealing with a lot right now. I need a place to share this. Like, I need to talk about this with my colleagues in order to do my work. So I think we can recognize both of those people at work. And that when we do, when we create the environment for both of those types of people to show up, we do better work
0: hmm. So I'm curious if you could give like one piece of advice to someone who's like, I just want my friendships to be better. What would you tell them?
1: I would say kind of focusing more on what you can give and how you can show up. I think that a lot of times we're waiting for all of this stuff to happen to us and to kind of flip it and say, like, what can I give? how can I come from a place of support? So being able to kind of say like, you know, I want my friendships to be better. Okay, cool. What is it that you can give to each of your friendships right now that you're trying to improve, right? Maybe it's someone that you haven't told how much they mean to you in a while. Maybe that somebody really needs a gift. Maybe somebody uh, needs you to plan um, a Saturday afternoon together um, or to surprise them with something or to send them an old funny memory that you have of the two of you together. Like, what can you give to that person? Or actually to kind of say, like, I just wanted to acknowledge you. I wanted to celebrate you. I wanted to affirm, I wanted to thank you. Um, Kind of coming to it from a place of, of giving, I think goes a long way. And I think Mm -hmm. is, is, is a really, if if we all do that with our relationships, it creates kind of these ripples uh, of impact. But I would also say just the importance today, especially with, with, kind of just the world we're living in and how disconnected people are, just kind of how can you be a minister for loneliness for your community? Hmm. This is something that feels kind of overwhelming. It is overwhelming, right? This is a global issue. It's an epidemic of loneliness, both in the United States and around the world. Japan has a minister for loneliness. Britain has a minister for loneliness. Loneliness is on the rise in Europe, everywhere. Um, What are little steps that you can do to kind of be an agent of human connection in your day-to-day life, like where mm-hmm. you pick up your coffee, going to the grocery store, saying hi to your neighbor, little things that you can do in your day-to-day life to kind of create more space, more belonging for people, more acceptance of people. It sounds kind of cheesy and it's, it is small, but that's our way forward. That's how this works. Let's all be chief friendship officers, you know, at our organizations and our in our on our blocks in our neighborhoods in our apartment buildings on our streets as we walk through the world how do we show up and create that support system for people how do we just acknowledge people give them simply now especially that we can make eye contact with people or smile mm-hmm. at them and okay maybe not everyone has to smile but it's a nod or just a like i recognize you i see you. you matter i think really at the end of the day people want to feel like they matter. They want to feel like they have a purpose, a place. And the more that we can give that to them, the more I think that we, we thrive in terms of, you know, not just our neighborhoods, our communities, our workplaces, our society.
0: Mm hmm. That's I think that's beautifully said. And you the point that I'm hearing from you is like what got us here won't get us there. And so we're sort of going to this place of saying, well, what can we do differently and what's missing? We know what's not working. So here's an answer. One of the many answers of things that we can bring into our own worlds, small or large, that can help all of us move forward in a different way that feels more connected and less lonely. I'm going to have you answer these three statements, Smiley. I'm I'm guessing one of the answers already, but let's see. Better humans are? Better humans are better friends. (laughs) Surprise. (gasps) Better work is?
1: Better work is a place where people can be themselves and also have fulfilling lives outside of work.
0: And a better world has?
1: A better world has space for people to make mistakes.
0: love that. Thank you so much for joining. It's great talking to you.
1: Thanks for having me, Leah. It was great to join you.
0: That was Adam Smiley-Poswalski, speaker and author of Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. One big thing before we go, a silver lining of COVID is that people are more intentional about where they spend their time these days. I found myself gravitating towards those who really allow me to be myself. I know we all hope to find that group or that person who just gets us. So talk about it. Tell people you're looking for community, be playful, take risks, and start slow. Remember, according to Smiley, it takes 90 hours to move from acquaintance to friend. So why not have some fun along the way? If today's episode inspired you to go make a friend, Leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other friend seekers like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn and I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.